passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, it may come as a surprise to you this morning uh, that there was no class offered in seminary on how to pastor a church through a global health crisis. And if there was one, uh, I certainly didn't take it. And so I just want to say thank you, first of all, uh, how gracious you all have been uh, to us and, and how, how you've committed uh, to praying for and, and uh, just asking how you can serve um, alongside church leadership as we, as we seek how, how we can best love and care for, shepherd, disciple, continue to live out our mission here at Crosswind. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you missed the beginning of our service, I, I shared a little bit of information about how you can uh, continue to, to live out that mission and vision here at Crosswinds. Uh, links to resources for, uh, for families and how to, how to worship uh, together as a family afterward because we can't have our Crosswinds classes for, for kids and, and for students and for adults. So I uh, encourage you to check all of those things out. We'll be posting those things online. But, but again, I just want to start by saying thank you. Uh, the number of people who have reached out and, and said, how can I serve? How can I continue to, to live out God's calling for me right now? It's just been so encouraging. And I, I want to begin this morning with, a, with something that a friend who's a pastor in Kansas City began, uh, shared with his congregation that I just find so encouraging. He said this, the only thing worse than a difficult situation is failing to see it as an opportunity for something greater. And church, I can't tell you how much joy it brings me to see Christian men and women and even boys and girls asking the questions of how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus right now? How can I live out this calling that God has on my life? And, and, and how can I, no matter what may come, how can I continue to be faithful to the gospel? And I've seen a number of people just make this resolution in, in themselves to say, no matter what may come, and we don't know what the future holds right now. We don't know how long this is going to be. We don't know how, uh, how, how severe the restrictions and the, the isolation may, may come. Uh, but, but no matter what is before us, people have been, been saying, I will cling to the unshakable promises of the gospel. And that's really what I want us to look at this morning, this resolve, even in the midst of, of uncertain times, to, to say, I will cling to the unshakable promises of the gospel. No matter what happens in the midst of possible job loss, in the midst of, of sickness, and maybe even in the midst of death, I am going to hold fast to what God promises me in Scripture. And this morning, I want to look at that, and I want to look at it through my favorite psalm, Psalm 73. And in it, we see this resolve from the psalmist. He, he says this in, in verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And in this age of anxiety, I don't know if there is a simpler and yet more apt reminder for ourselves that though flesh and though heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart, and God is my portion forever. You see, our flesh may fail, and it might be from COVID-19. It might not be from COVID-19. One of the heart most heartbreaking things about this outbreak is that the rest of life doesn't stop. Cancer doesn't take a break during a global pandemic. Autoimmune diseases don't just to say, all right, I'm going I'm to pause until this other threat is over. It, it, we, we might struggle or our flesh might fail because of COVID-19, and it might be something completely different, but our flesh will fail. It will get tired. 
It will get weary. It will get overwhelmed. And it's not just our flesh either. It's our hearts as well. The, the psalmist speaks to our hearts failing. Perhaps many of us feel apprehension right now about what is to come. We still don't fully understand the, the aftermath of this crisis. We don't even understand how long it is going to last. And there's this emotional and even this, this spiritual dimension to what we are currently facing. And our hearts can be overwhelmed. And if that's you this morning, I just want to give us all permission to acknowledge those feelings that we're experiencing right now in this moment. You see, there's, there's no benefit from denying those feelings. There's no benefit from, from hiding them. And, and whether it's, it's because of COVID-19 or because of, of economic fallout or, or, or a thousand other things, the heart may fail. Your spirit may be so weary from, from all that is happening that you can't imagine another day, let alone another week or another month or, or even longer, of having to deal with the same. So what do we do when hearts and flesh fail? How can we echo the words of the psalmist here in verse 23? Though, though flesh and heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How can we resolve to say, no matter what may come, I will cling to the unshakable promises of the gospel? Let's consider this psalm, how it stirs within each and every one of us a resolve to say, no matter what may come, I will cling to the unshakable promises of the gospel. But before we do that, I want us to just pause and pray. Ask for God's blessing to be with us this morning. Ask for his spirit to, to work and, and to speak to us this morning. So let's, uh, let's pause for a time of prayer. Please pray with me. Well, Father, as we begin this morning, we first want to confess just how hard it is We know that you instituted the church for our good and that we were not meant to be isolated from others. And God, it's, it's hard to worship scattered in all our different homes this morning. It's hard to process that one of the most loving things that we can do for others is to not be with those who profess, that we profess our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we begin this morning, I, I just want to say thank you that you hear us that you are a God who genuinely cares for his children, that, that you, in the promises of your word, say that you are near to the brokenhearted. So we say thank you. And Father, in your mercy, we ask that you would hear our cry. With the psalmist, we cry out, how long, O Lord? We don't want this to be forever. And so we ask that you would end this pandemic quickly for the sake of your children, for the sake of your people. God, we ask that you would intercede. And Lord, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we ask that you would be with us. We thank you for the promises of your word that say that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age, that there are no conditions on that, that there are no stipulations, no prerequisites for that gift of grace. And so, Lord, as we open your word, we confess that there are a dozen distractions at our fingertips, especially in this new normal of worshiping in our homes. And so, God, in your grace, we just ask that you would help us to focus this morning. Help us to focus on you. Thank you for hearing your, our prayers, Lord Jesus. We long for you to teach us through your spirit, and it's in your precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Well, I find the, uh, the, the context of Psalm 73 to be incredibly helpful for us, not just in this context, but really in all of life, because this psalm wrestles with what I think are some of the most basic 
and uh, most natural emotions that we can feel as humans, envy of those who have it better than us. This wrestling with what is actually fair in our world. Notice how the psalm begins in verse 3 and in the following verses. Uh, Asaph, the author of the psalm, writes this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are well fed and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Asaph uh, looks at how some people who don't give a rip about following God are safe and secure and they have all of their needs met while those who are following God are left in a place with nothing. And he shouts out that this is just not fair, God. I look at all they have and I look at what I have and how empty my own cup is and all I want to do is just trade places with them. God, this isn't fair. And maybe you, in this uncertain season, feel the same way. You, you think, well, maybe I can just, I can make this for a week. I can, I can do this for two weeks. I can maybe even do this for a month. But if this lasts much longer than that, then I have no idea how I'm going to make ends meet. And I'm taking all of the necessary precautions here in my life to protect my fe- myself, protect my family, protect others, to be loving toward my neighbors. And then I see videos of college students in Miami on spring break without a care in the world. And I think of all of this, and it's so I- easy for me to be envious of the wicked I would argue that that is actually our default nature. We see what others have, and we are increasingly aware of what we do not have, and whether it's health or, or wealth or, or any myriad of other things, our heart says, God, that's just not fair. Why not me? And this really is what the first half of this psalm is about. Verses 3 through 15 are essentially a complaint. You skim those verses, and you will see that they really boil down to two things. Asaph is saying two things. God... Why aren't you punishing them for their wickedness? And two, why aren't you rewarding me for my faithfulness? Now here's the rub. Because after all, COVID-19 is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how bad of a person you are. It is no respecter of persons. So how exactly does this psalm speak to our current context? I think at its core, this complaint of verses 3 through 15 is a complaint about fairness. You see, Asaph here, he has this preconceived notion of what is right, of what is fair, of what he deserves, of the way that life should be. And the way that it is playing out doesn't line up to his preconceived notions of what life should be. And that, right there, this idea of fairness of what I think life should be like and and the reality of what it actually is right now, that resonates very deeply with me right now. It is not fair that some of my friends are sick and they are stuck at home and they are not allowed to leave under any circumstances. It is not fair that some of my friends following their dream have bought and purchased into a gym and now they're going to lose it all if something doesn't happen quickly. It is not fair that seniors in high school or seniors in college have to spend the last few months of their time together uh, and have that cut short and spend it at home. It is not fair that my son is forced to leave preschool and his friends and the teachers that he loves so dearly. We should be getting ready to spend time outside with spring activities. Instead, we're stuck inside with the uncertainty of tomorrow. 
Life is not fair. And that resonates really deeply with me right now. Now, as we're going to soon see, Asaph has this change of heart. Maybe a better way of saying that is this change of perspective. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But notice, after he has this change of perspective, he's, he's looking back on his life of, while he was complaining to God, while he's, he's expressing his envy, while he's crying out to God, God, this just isn't fair for me. Notice how he describes himself in Psalm 73, verses 21 and 22. He says this, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He looks at his cries of this isn't fair and all of the implicit expectations that he has placed on God that are, in, that are a part of those expectations. And he says, this bitterness, this complaining, this, this envy of the wicked, all of this has made me almost subhuman. I became like a brute, a beast before God. In essence, what he's saying is that bitterness kills everything that is good, everything that is loving, everything that is beautiful about you and about me. And bitterness is, is just so easy right now. It is so easy for it to fester alongside of, of anxiety and fear and worry. And if it is left unchecked, that bitterness will actually cause more harm and more damage to you than COVID-19 ever could. But verse 22 tells us that bitterness is born out of ignorance. In other words, it comes from not knowing something. So then it follows that the key to addressing our bitterness, addressing our anxiety, addressing our fear, is then to know something. Of course, the question is, what does Asaph now know? At the end of the psalm, what does he know that he didn't know at the beginning of the psalm? What is the, the key to overcoming bitterness? What is the key to combating this heart that complains to God? This heart that is filled with anxiety, filled with, for, with fear, filled with doubt, filled with worry. And the answer, the turning point for Asaph and hopefully for all of us is, is in verses 16 and 17. It says this, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, here is Asaph, and he's, he's hot off of this complaint to God, and he says, when I try to wrap my mind around this on my own, it is absolutely impossible for me. I can't do it. I can't make sense of, of this lack of fairness right now. But then something happens I gave up trying to figure this out on my own, and instead I decided to just enter into God's presence. And that's what's meant here when, it, when he talks about the sanctuary of God and entering into the sanctuary of God. Now, now I get that. This can be ironic that I am talking about this key to overcoming bitterness, overcoming anxiety, overcoming fear, is to enter into the sanctuary of God when the one thing that we cannot do is gather together. I get that this is ironic, and maybe I should have picked a different text, but the heart of what Asaph is saying here when he means, when he says that the sanctuary of God, I entered into it, is the key for us 
in the midst of this uncertain time is to fight bitterness and anxiety and fear and worry and frustration with God by entering into God's presence. By spending time with God. By worshiping Him. Because, uh, now, I didn't get into this earlier, but, but Asaph was actually one of the temple court's uh, leaders. So he led qu- choirs that, that sang praises to God. And so when he is saying, I entered into the sanctuary of God, what's in mind here is that he's entering God's presence in worship. He is worshiping this God that he doesn't understand, that he thinks is not being fair right now, that this God is, is favoring the unjust, and he says, I'm going to enter into his presence in worship anyway. You want to know how to face all of the emotions and and fears and worries and doubts and anxieties that are facing you right now? Asaph says, the answer is found in God's presence. It's as simple as it sounds. The answer is found in God's presence. And yet, and I speak from personal experience here, it is so easy for us to forget that. The answer to all of your worries, to all of your anxieties, all your bitterness and how unfair and uncertain life is right now is found in God's presence. And here's the really beautiful thing about right now, living in light of the gospel, that we don't have to go anywhere for God to be with us, to be in God's presence. We, uh, if you are in Christ, his presence is with you right now. Remember, Jesus, he's, he's speaking to his disciples at the Great Commission. He's about to send them to the ends of the earth to share the gospel with the nations, to make disciples of all nations. And he says this, And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. There's no stipulations. There's, there's no requirements. There's no prerequisites for that. There is this commitment from Jesus that he will be with his people always. In Colossians, we are reminded of the hope of the gospel and that it is not found somewhere out there, but is instead found in the fact that Christ dwells with his people. In Ephesians, we are told that the Holy Spirit himself dwells within us, uniting us with Christ. In 1 Corinthians, we are reminded that there is no sanctuary, that there is no temple now because God dwells within us and we are his temple. So how do we take what Asaph has said here and this answer that he gives and bring it into our own lives? Well, the answer isn't just found in being in God's presence because if we are in Christ and we are already in his presence, that he is already with us, the answer instead is is something a little bit deeper. It is to abide in his presence, to dwell in his presence, to commune with him. Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples right before his crucifixion and he says this, John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want to bear fruit in this season of uncertainty? Do you want to grow in your faith right now as the world is crashing down around us? Jesus tells us that the key to doing that is to abide in him, to dwell with him. The key to killing bitterness toward God, anxiety about the future, the key is to dwell with and rest in God's 
presence, to remind yourself of who God is, that he is the sovereign Lord over all the earth, but he also cares for you. Earlier, Jake read to us this beautiful passage from Romans chapter 8. I just want to read it to you again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no one, there is no thing, COVID-19, not job loss, not financial distress, not sickness, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not a coincidence that Paul, writing thousands of years ago, is referring to the things that will not separate us from Christ, and he says, neither things present nor things to come. He's reminding the church throughout the ages that it doesn't matter what you face, because nothing will, able, it will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself who God is and that he cares for you. Remind yourself of the truths of Scripture. Remind yourself of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not also much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Why shouldn't we be anxious in such an anxious age? It's because your heavenly Father loves you. Earlier this week, Crystal and I were talking about what the next few weeks, months will entail, and we're talking specifically about the financial distress that's almost certainly going to hit each and every one of us in this congregation. And we talked about this financial distress in our own lives. And one of the things that I resolved to do, that I committed to do in that moment, was to do whatever was necessary to take care of Crystal and the kids. I don't care what job I would have to take. I, I don't care what's, what I'd have to sell. Um, I, don't, I, I don't care what I would have to do. I would commit to take care of my wife and my kids. And part of that's because I'm a dad. I just love those kids more than I can express. And notice how Jesus describes God here when he's talking about anxiety. And he's talking about the fear of the future. He doesn't just call him the sovereign Lord. He doesn't call him the creator. Both of those things are true. He calls him your heavenly father. He will take care of you. 
because he loves you. Now, it might not look the way you hoped. It may not look the way you imagined. You might need to make some sacrifices. You might need to make some changes to the way that you currently live. But your father knows what you need. And he will take care of you because he loves you. Remember the promises of Scripture. Remember also the inheritance that is set before you. Asaph actually touches on this in Psalm 73 as he is reminding himself of this new perspective that he has of what is actually before him, what is set before him because of God. It says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. You notice the unbelievable care that God shows to Asaph here in these verses? While Asaph dwells with God, he dwells in God's presence, he abides with God, God's presence is so tangible with him and it's so felt that it's as though he is holding Asaph's right hand. My kids are still at the age when they get frightened. They actually will run to mom and dad and and they actually kind of like holding our hands with some notable exceptions there because it's a reminder Mom and dad are going to take care of me. And for those who dwell with and abide with God, God's presence and care is so near to us as though he is holding our hand as a reminder to us that he is going to take care of us. What is this inheritance that is awaiting Asaph, that's awaiting all of us if we are found in Christ? If our flesh may fail, if our heart may fail. And make no mistake, ultimately they will. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be decades from now, but if Jesus doesn't return first, our flesh and our heart will fail. But Asaph says that when his flesh and when his heart fail, God will receive him in glory. Asaph comes to realize that the presence of God is better than anything else that the world could offer now And forevermore, Jesus is better. It's no coincidence that the book of Psalms starts with this declaration. It says this, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." You see, in this season of uncertainty, in this season of panic, see how different the contrast is between those who are blessed, the one who delights in God's word, who meditates upon it day and night, and the wicked, those who run elsewhere for solace, the one who does not cling to the promises of God in his word are like the wind blowing shaft away. There is no root to sustain them in impossibly hard times. When the wind changes, so do they. But the one who dwells with God, who meditates on his word, 
day and night, who stores it up in her heart, she will not be moved. Though winds change, though the storms rage, she will remain steadfast. Her leaf will not wither. She will not panic or succumb to bitterness or fear. She will prosper. And that might not be in a material sense. After all, it's the psalmist who says, and we can echo with him when he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's it. That's the key to overcoming whatever is facing you. That is how we find strength to say, though flesh and heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When we abide in God's presence, bitterness turns into rejoicing, anxiety turns into confidence in who God is, fear turns into this unshakable faith, though flesh and heart may fail, we can confidently say that we steadfastly cling to the promises of the gospel. And, and as this comes to an end, as we come to the end of the psalm, I just want us to consider this truth in light of one book in the New Testament that, that speaks to it also. It's, it's the book of Hebrews. I think all of, the book, all of the Bible is extremely timely for us right now in this season of uncertainty and anxiety, but for me, I think Hebrews is, is one of those books that I find particularly relevant for us. Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that were facing the unknown. And in the midst of all this great loss that they were experiencing, and in the midst of all this hardship that they were facing, the author of the church, or of that letter, calls the church to persevere. To continue being the light of the gospel to the people who are around them, no matter how hard it may be. Because we can be confident that God will never leave his people and that God will always come through for his people. And the same is true today. No matter what you may be feeling right now, the same is absolutely true today, that God will come through for his people. He has made promises, and God never reneges on a promise. In fact, it might not be in our timing. It might not be the way that we expect or the way we would like or the way that we would prefer, but God never fails. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that we can be so confident in this truth that God always keeps his promises, that he always comes through, that in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of the raging storm, that this truth is an anchor that holds us safe and secure. Hebrews chapter 6, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can know for certain that the promises that God has made to us in his word will come to pass. Just consider the testimony of the saints throughout the ages, many of them described in Hebrews chapter 11. This is an incredible chapter. Many of you are familiar with it. It gives us this example after example after example in the Old Testament of saints who concluded that even when life is falling around them, 
Life is falling apart everywhere they look. Even when the promises of Scripture that God has promised to his people, they don't line up with their circumstances, with their experience. They, they confidently say that God is a God who keeps his promises, and God is a God worth trusting. One of the most striking examples is Moses. In this stunning twist of fate, Moses goes from being a slave, the child of a slave, he's condemned to death, to actually being a part of the royal family of Egypt. He has everything that he could ever want. Everything is at his fingertips. He is completely secure. He is lacking nothing. And yet, consider how the author of Hebrews describes Moses and how strikingly similar Moses' response is to the one that Asaph concludes. Hebrews chapter 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to not a reward, but the reward. You see, Moses understood what Asaph only learned through time, that Jesus is better than whatever this life may offer. Moses, centuries before Asaph lived, had this truth that is described in Psalm 73, deep within his heart and his soul, and he, he confessed it on his lips. Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Church, no matter what may come, cling to the unshakable promise of the gospel. Flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of our hearts and he is our portion forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we say thank you for your word. Thank you for how timely it is, how it is at work, changing us, transforming us, making us more like you. Lord, in this season of uncertainty, we ask that you would help us to cling to the promises that you have given to your people in your word. Help us with Asaph to say, though my flesh and heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To say with him, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Help us be a people that in the midst of uncertain times, in the midst of an anxious age, to be a people who dwell in your presence and seek your face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.